This message was presented through a partnership between GYC and GYC Europe at the 2012 conference in Linz, Austria. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would be with us this afternoon. We pray that your Holy Spirit and your power would be poured out. And Father, help us to have a burden for souls. Help us to reach those around us that may not be overt spiritually, but will come to our health programs. So help us as we make our churches a health center. Oh Lord, bless us, I pray. And we thank, thank you that your presence will be here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been talking about making your church a health evangelistic center, and we talked about the fact that our health ministry gives us an opportunity to help people's health, because we stopped this morning at the point where people have broken health, and they want to change it, but sometimes it's uh, too late. Some of you may have read the story of Steve Jobs, who was the founder of Apple Computer and read the story of how he even said at the end of his life he wished he would have taken care of his health. But obviously it was too late. And so it's important to take care of our health while we have some measure of health. And a pill isn't going to do it. We often think that maybe there's some magic pill out there, but there's no magic pill that's going to help us. It's going to be God's health assurance plan. In the United States and around the world, in many places, people are looking for a health insurance plan. But God has a health assurance plan. And sometimes even people who get an insurance plan, get it too late. And, uh, and, and we don't want to do that with uh, our health. So is health a matter of chance or is it by choice? Do we have health because we just kind of uh, flip the dice and our number comes up and so some people get cancer and some people get heart disease, some people get diabetes, some people don't. Is it a matter of choice or is it a matter of chance? Well, I think that with all the studies that you see out there today, you uh, can see that our lifestyle choices make a considerable difference. Our lifestyle choices make a considerable choice, uh, uh, difference. And we can be healthy by choice. Now, it is true, as I mentioned this morning, it is true that we have environmental and we have hereditary factors to deal with, but we can be healthy by choice as well, and we can help people who are coming to our health programs to see that they can be healthy by choice, that it is a matter, in many cases, of right choices. And each day's choices, whatever those choices are, may benefit or harm us just a little. 
and someone says, oh, I can smoke. My, my father smoked and he lived to be, you know, 80 or 85 or 90 and it's not going to harm me. Or I'm young. Look at I have all this energy. I can do whatever I want. I don't have to sleep, you know, seven to eight hours a night. I'm young. I have lots of energy. But each day's choices may benefit or harm us just a little. But when these choices are repeated over years and decades, whether it's smoking, whether it's lack of exercise, whether it's alcohol, tobacco, or whatever, the rewards or the consequences, what? Become major. They become major. In other words, we make a choice to do things when we're young, and we think that we can fix it when we get older, right? But have you ever heard that old saying that says, sell your health when you're young, and when you're old, you can't buy it back. All the money in the world is not going to buy your health back if you sell your health when you're young. And that's why, young people, it's so important to learn some of these principles while you're young. Some people don't learn them until they're older or oftentimes when it's too late. There are many people that come into our health programs that are stressed out because they have a health condition that actually uh, is so severe that they've been given maybe three months, four months, six months to live. And then it's very difficult to fix the problem. And, and, and obviously we refer them to their physicians or whatever, but you can't sell your health when you're young because if you do that when you get old, you're not going to be able to buy it back. And Loma Linda University Medical School has done several studies, and many of you, I'm sure, were probably even part of the Adventist Health Study, and they learned and have printed that you can have at least 10 to 12 years longer. And so you can live longer, and you can live happier, not only healthier, but who wants to live if you're sick, right? You don't want to live, you, you don't want to live if you're sick, you're not happy, and so you want that, you want that longer lifespan to also be happier as well as healthier. And by our lifestyle choices, we also can, uh, we can contribute to premature aging. So aging actually can be catapulted ahead as well by our lifestyle choices. So lifestyle choices are pretty critically important, wouldn't you say? And that's why people coming to our health programs, uh, when they see some of these things, they want to make changes in their life. And that's why it's important to have our health programs very positive. 
and so that when they come in, we're not taking something away from them. When people come to our nutrition classes and our cooking schools, we have an abundance of displays. We have a display of fruits and nuts and grains and vegetables, and they just see that in itself, and they say, wow, I never realized all the variety of things that a plant-based diet can give us. And then when they see all the demonstrations and the different foods, they become very excited. But our lifestyle choices also contribute, uh, the lifestyle choices that contribute to premature aging are smoking. Obviously, smoking is a big factor. When I go to Eastern Europe, particularly, uh, many smokers, uh, it's just incredible. You see a lot in China today. We were in China recently, and everywhere people are smoking. They still don't, uh, although the studies are out there, although it's on almost every carton of cigarettes that smoking kills, there are still people that are smoking. And that's why it's important to have stop smoking plans. We started doing stop smoking plans early in our ministry. And in the early 70s, we had four and 500 people that would come to our stop smoking plans and quit in five days. In five days, they would be off uh, smoking. And then alcohol and caffeine. And unfortunately, caffeine has become also a very big thing even in the Adventist church. Uh, coffee drinking and uh, soft drinks and all the rest with caffeine, and yet it is affecting our health. And of course, drugs. And then rich food and inactivity. So all of these things are so lifestyle related, aren't they? Choices that we can make that will make a difference. Well, cardiovascular disease is the number one killer in the United States. But you know what? It is around the world as well. When I had my health program in Singapore, I learned that cancer and heart disease are also uh, high on the list, but also here in Europe as well. And in many European countries, seven out of 10 deaths are due to cardiovascular disease and cancer. And so cardiovascular disease is the number one killer here in Europe. 70% of all deaths are due to, to heart disease, cancer, and stroke. Those are the three major killers in the United States and in Europe as well and around the world. I just came from Martinique where I had some health programs on the island of Martinique. And I learned that heart disease is also the number one killer. And when you see all of the fast foods that are coming into some of these countries, you can understand why they are becoming the number one killer around the world. In fact, heart disease is the main cause of death in the European Union, killing over 2 million every year. So just here in Europe, killing over 2 million people every year. Do we have something to share with the general public? Yes, my friends, we have a lot that we can share with them because people are excited and they'll come to your church for a health program where they would never step foot in your church for a religious program. 
And we have found that to be true, true around the world. And cardiovascular disease costs the European Union economy over 192 billion euros annually. Every year, 192 billion euros are spent to try and fix cardiovascular disease. And yet, we can tell them how to fix it free as they come to our classes. Oh, you may charge a little uh, fee for some materials. I don't charge for my cooking schools. I charge a little fee. I charged $35 US dollars. And for that, they got my four color cookbook. They got their lessons and they got the food samples for $35. It pays for itself. And these cooking schools become self-supporting. And yet at the same time, the people feel like, wow, I'm getting so much. I'm getting your cookbook all fully illustrated with pictures. I'll show some of them to you today. Um, I, they get our lessons and they get the food samples for $35 US dollars. And so people are ready and willing to come and to learn, but 192 billion euros spent on trying to fix something that we can help fix. Now, we can't help fix everything, as I mentioned, but we can do a lot. But let's take a look at the percentage of cardiovascular deaths. If you take the deaths in Eastern Europe, 50 to 62% are due to cardiovascular disease, the highest in Eastern Europe. And I suppose that is because of the lifestyle, the diet, but also smoking and many other factors. But look at even Western Europe. It's right up there with the United States and Australia. We also spent a lot of time in Australia and learned that they have the same diseases, they have obesity there. You think that everybody's fit and trim, but it's not true. And uh, you have um, cardiovascular disease about the same in Western Europe, U.S., and Australia, 42 to 48 percent. But then you look at Asia and Africa, it is lower because... They don't have, but they're fast getting some of the fast foods and all the rest. So theirs is increasing as well. So it keeps increasing and increasing around the world as they adopt the Western diet and particularly things that they think are, are cool, are great from the United States. And then we're trying to teach them that these aren't uh, best for their health. And, but yet, nine out of 10 heart attacks are preventable. They are preventable. And what are the three big contributing factors to heart disease? Well, smoking is uh, a big factor, but also high blood pressure and high cholesterol, very much diet-related. So these are lifestyle practices that we have an opportunity to change. And cancer is the number two killer, not only in the United States, but also here in Europe. In fact, 1.7 million deaths from cancer are every year in Europe. 
So 1.7 million. Can you imagine all these deaths that are due to cancer? And unfortunately, my friends, cancer is also on the rise among Seventh-day Adventists. And I will share with you as we go down the line why that is becoming more true. But cancer is hitting also many Seventh-day Adventists. And there are reasons for that. But it is the number two killer here in Europe. And more than three million, three million new cases of cancer in Europe annually. Every year, more than three million. I mean, think of what is happening that we can help prevent. That, that's what's the exciting news. The exciting news is that we as Seventh-day Adventists have a message to share, and we need to be bold in sharing it, just as the disciples were bold in sharing Jesus Christ, and as we uh, uh, share these things, we will help people also to accept Jesus Christ because we have found that many people that come want to learn more than just health. They want to know something about spiritual health as well. And 80% of the various cancers are potentially pre preventable with the best diet and the lifestyle practices. So we can prevent uh, uh, cancer today and we can help prevent. We can't we can't stop these diseases. It's not possible to stop these diseases. We live in a world of sin, and they're going to be here until Jesus comes. But we can put a little, you know, stop on them and slow them down. And we can best protect ourselves by our own lifestyle practices. And health statistics show that diabetes, too, are hundreds of cases are diagnosed every day and also that is on the rise here in Europe as well and diabetes is being uh, taken around the world by many people and it's understandable when you see that really uh, sugar and fat have a is a factor and we have high sugar high fat diets but how can we protect ourselves from some of these diseases? How can we protect ourselves from cancer? There are no shortcuts, my friends. There's, there's really no shortcuts. It's kind of like, you know, when we talk about the eight natural remedies, new start and whatever. Uh, it takes effort, doesn't it? I know that it takes discipline as well. My husband and I have to be very disciplined to go out and exercise and determine that you're going to do this. So it takes a lot of discipline to really uh, be healthy. It doesn't just happen. There are no miracle pills and there are no uh, shortcuts. It's using God's remedies. And it's a matter of making good choices. I see that right here, right here at breakfast. You can go to the breakfast in the hotels where we are, 
and you have all these choices. You can see the meats, and you can see all the high cholesterol of the eggs, and you can see all the other things, but you can see also the good things, right? You can see the granolas, and you can see the fruits, and you can see all the good whole grain breads, and you can see, and it's a matter of choices. It's a matter. We have to make choices every day of our lives, and as we travel around the world, we have to make those choices. Someone has said, well, how do you and Pastor Finley stay healthy as you travel all over the world? We very rarely get sick because to the best of our ability, we try to follow the eight natural remedies, the eight laws of health. And when you don't follow them and you break down on any one of them, whether it's rest, whether it's exercise, whether it's diet, whether it's drinking enough water, whether it's using enough water, whatever, you break down on any one of them and you are vulnerable and you can become sick. And so we try to use those natural laws that God has given us as we travel around the world. And the Bible's ancient health principles are a universal prescription for wellness. That's what it is. Uh, God's remedies. He has remedies. He wants us to be healthy. And by following God's health assurance plan, we can increase our possibility of living longer, happier lives. No question about it. We can do that. And there, here they are. We went over them this morning. They are pure air, sunlight, abstemiousness, rest, exercise, proper diet, the use of water, trust in divine power. These are the true remedies. So if we want a remedy for disease, then these are God's true remedies. This is what really, really works. And we've seen that as we've just talked about the simple remedy of water. We were in Papua New Guinea, and we gave some health talks in our evangelistic meetings. And I was sharing with them the simple remedy because several people had some headaches. So I shared how they could... And they don't have even all the pills and the aspirins and the bufferins and all of the drugs that we have that we just cover up the problem with here in Europe and in the United States. But I shared with them, if you really want to get rid of a headache, then put your feet in some hot water and then get a cold cloth and put that on your head, wrap up in a nice warm blanket, and the blood will be drawn from your head down into your feet and your headache will actually go. Well, I had literally people coming to me the next day saying, Mrs. Finley, this works. I got rid of my headache. I can't believe it. And then we would, some had sore throats. And so we showed them uh, a simple compress and how to put a wet cloth around your neck and how to put then a sock or some kind of a wool cloth and, and put it on your neck and, and leave it there for the night and then in the morning and drink lots of water and then you'll literally rid yourself of the toxins and the poisons and you'll get rid of that sore throat. People couldn't believe it. So these simp they said it works. We tried it and it works. And so these simple remedies are God's remedies that work anywhere in the world. We do them in Africa. We do them in Papua New Guinea. We do them in Europe. We do them in the United States. We do them in the islands of the sea, everywhere. And 
they work. And that's why they're so wonderful. Because God doesn't ask us to have anything that you can't do in your country. God doesn't say, oh, I put favor on, you know, the people in a certain place and they can use, you know, these remedies, but you can't. Now, yes, I know some, it's more difficult. I recognize when we have to tell people in Africa, go to your pump and get your water and boil it because you need to drink it. And then, you know, just take your water and a pail of water and, and pour it over you and cleanse yourself so that you can get rid of the toxins that you build up during the day. So you have to teach them that for some, it's more of a struggle than others, but the remedies are there. And God gives sunshine on the rich and on the poor and on the Christians and on the non-Christians. The, 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 the sunshine is out there. And so we can do these remedies around the world. And they truly are God's true remedies. Here they are. Well, I, I do mine in the form of a, an acronym in English. I know there are many acronyms. You know New Start and celebrations from the General Conference, and then there's, uh, celeb there's um, Creation Health, and I do mine out of wellness in my book because I want people to experience wellness. So I talk about water and exercise and lifestyle, where I talk about abstemiousness, where I talk about temperance and, and getting rid of those things that are harmful to your health, eliminating all the harmful things, tobacco, alcohol, drugs, caffeine, all the things that are, that are unhealthful, and using moderately that which is good. And then we talk about love. We talk about relationships and how important those are. And studies have been done that show that people who have love and positive relationships have better health. And then our trust in God, and even those people who trust in God have better health. People that say, I don't even believe in God. There have been uh, studies done around the world that show that there are people who do not even believe in a God, but if they even think there's a God and can serve someone like that, that they have better health. And so we talk about that in, in love. And then nutrition. We talk about everything diet-related, and then the environment, the air, the surroundings that we have, and then the sunshine and the sleep and the rest that we get in, in Jesus as well. Testimonies, volume 762 says, we have come to a time, we've come to a time when every member of the church, how many members of the church? Every member of the church should take hold of medical missionary work. And yet we've been slow, it seems, to take on medical missionary work. Ministry of Healing 149. Every church should be a training school for Christian workers. Now, I also teach Bible instructors. I teach Bible instructors how to give Bible studies before our evangelistic campaigns. We train many Bible instructors, and that's very, very important but we are told that also giving the health message is important. And in my training, I share that if we would grasp this one concept, if you would grasp this, if you came here just for this today, I believe that this concept would transform our churches 
from sometimes being dead churches to dynamic churches. And that is this, every church as a training school for Christian workers. What does that mean? What does that mean? That means on that your church doors are open. Do you know the least economical building in the world? What do you think? It's the church because it's only used once a week on Sabbath or once a week even on Sunday. We don't take advantage of the church building. It's the least economical building in the world. And yet, on a Monday night, we should be training our young people how to get involved in Bible study ministry. On a Tuesday night, training our young people and others how to get involved in health ministry, how to get involved in literature ministry, prayer ministry. And that's what I do. That's my, that's my regular job. That's uh, what I do. I go from church to church, training in Bible study ministry and health ministry and literature ministry and prayer ministry. Those are, those are the things that I do in preparation for our evangelistic meetings because some people say, how is it that Pastor Finley goes all over the world and has converts even in hard, difficult places, even here in Europe? How is that? It's because we have a team. It's because there is no star, quote, unquote, evangelist. There's no such thing as a star evangelist. It's as the church works together and everyone has a part. You all have gifts. You all have something to contribute to the church. And it's as we work together. And so the church becomes a training school. What does that training school look like? It's a classroom. It has PowerPoint. It has whiteboards. It has all these things where it has materials where we're training. It has desks and chairs. I was a teacher, taught grades five through eight in my younger years. And uh, what did I have? I had students. I had I had uh, desks, I had a blackboard, I had books, I had materials. And so that's what you have in the church. You have a training school, and on a Tuesday night, you have a team, and you train that team in health ministry. So they know what to do, because we're told that many would go to work for Christ if only they knew where to start, where to begin. They don't know where to begin. And that's where the pastor, the leaders, the elders, and the personal ministries directors, and others in the church can help train these young people and others. So the church becomes uh, a center where we're training Bible workers. And there should be, and this is the rest of the quote, there should be schools of health, cooking schools, and classes in various lines of Christian help work. There should be cooking schools. But how do you, how do you begin? We're going to share with you how to have some of those cooking schools and some of those health programs here in this class. And we have one that uh, Pastor Finley has just recently been working with Florida Hospital on called Creation Health and the eight natural remedies coming out of there. We have workbooks and we have textbooks and we have DVDs and a number of things out of Creation Health. And I have... Uh, 
materials for our wellness program as well. And so the materials are out there. I'm sure you have New Start or other materials here. Use whatever you have. Uh, someone asks, have all, they've also asked us, what are, what are the best materials? You know what we tell them? The ones you use. The ones you use. Because if they're not being used and you just uh, find out what materials you have in your conference, in your union, in your church, and you use them and utilize them. They're all over. But I'd like to use one of these uh, eight natural remedies as an example of some of the things that we do in, um, in health evangelism, in missionary health evangelism work. I'm going to take a diet and share with you. Now, some of the things that I'm going to share with you this afternoon, I don't share in my health classes. I'm going to share with you some spirit of prophecy statements because I'm wanting to train and teach you, but this is somewhat of an example of some of the things that we do in our health programs. And these are just some of the food displays that we have so people see that there is there, there's so much that they, can, um, that they can eat, that we're not taking something away from them, but that we're giving them so much more. But good nutrition is essential for good health. And so these programs can be used in the churches. They can be used as part of a series of... Um, of uh, short programs in the church where you bring people in, or you can develop an entire cooking school out of that. We do both of those kinds of things. We also do health in our public evangelism. We are always teaching people health, and we get people who come strictly out of advertising to the evangelistic meetings, and they learn these health principles and make changes in their life. So an ancient prescription from the Garden of Eden helps us to reduce some of these diseases. We learned that this morning in Genesis 1.29, and God said, See, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the land, and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have this for food. So this is the diet that God gave us. The Eden diet was a vegetarian diet. And a vegetarian diet contains adequate uh, carbohydrates, proteins, vitamins, and minerals. And I show people that in our nutrition classes, that, that you're not lacking anything. You have all the good carbs that you need. You have all the protein. Some people think, oh, I'm not going to get enough protein on a, on a, on a vegetarian plant-based diet. You get all the protein that you need and probably more because studies have also shown that children are reaching puberty sooner, aging sooner, and dying sooner because of the high protein diet that they're on from childhood. And we get all the vitamins and all the minerals and all the antioxidants and all the phytochemicals that we need. A vegetarian diet is rich in phytochemicals and antioxidants. And then many of my people don't even know what, that, that come to our health classes don't know what some of these things are. So I ask, what are, what are phytochemicals? What are these phytochemicals? Well, 
phyto simply means plant, and phytochemicals are protective chemicals found only in plant food. It's not found in meat. It's not found in dairy. It's found in plant foods. And just think, I share with them, one tomato. I try to eat tomatoes every day. One tomato has over 10,000 phytochemicals. So you are getting these phytochemicals. And the three um, main uh, antioxidants uh, also uh, are in these plant-based foods. And soybeans are packed full of phytochemicals and of course have lots of protein as well. And so, and studies show that just soybeans reduce the risk of breast cancer, colon cancer, rectal and lung and stomach cancer. So think of all the things that we can give people in their diet that's going to actually reduce the second major killer here in Europe, which is cancer. And so we can reduce that. And then what are antioxidants? Well, the three main ones, of course, are your, uh, remember in English, ACE, your A, your beta carotene, and then your vitamin C and your vitamin E. And these are five, uh, high antioxidants. But antioxidants simply are just chemicals found in food that can prevent or can even repair damage to the cells called, caused by substances called free radicals. And so they're simply just chemicals in these plant foods that are either going to prevent or even can reverse, can repair the cells that are caused by these free radicals. And it's these free radicals that set the stage for cancer, for heart disease, and for other diseases and even premature aging. And so when people, you can only imagine some of these people that are actually fighting some of these diseases come to your class, how excited they are as you start demonstrating some of the foods that are plant-based that have these high phytochemicals that they need to repair the damage that's already been done or to keep them from getting the damage. And the highest antioxidants are found in berries. I don't know if you have lots of berries here, but I grew up in uh, uh, the northern part of Maine in the United States, and we have lots of blueberries. Those are so high in antioxidants. And so wherever you can get berries, but there are other plant-based foods, as I told them in Martinique, Eat all your, your mangoes and your papayas and your pineapples and all of these that you have there because God has given us the right foods uh, around the world to keep us from some of these diseases. So how can we protect ourselves from cancer when cancer is the number two killer here in Europe? 80% of the various cancers are preventable by our diet and our lifestyle and we can prevent them. So let's just go through just a few principles of nutrition that you can present to, uh, that, that you can transfer to your country and uh, present to people there in your, out of your churches. Principle number one is simple. 
it is just good nutrition means choosing the right kinds of food. That's what it simply means. It's just choosing the right kinds of food. Many people don't choose. I see people, I go into restaurants all the time because particularly for breakfast because of the fact that we travel and we have to eat out. Now, when we're at home, believe me, I cook my own food. I bake my own bread. I make my own entrees and cook my own food. We don't want to go out to eat. But when we travel, we have to. And we see all the time people making wrong choices of food. And I think, how can the body even handle some of these things? We are wonderfully and marvelously made by a great creator. But the body does break down as well. So the first principle, my friends, is choosing the right kinds of food. Medical researchers have discovered that some foods are protective foods against the killer diseases of the 21st century. So what are those protective foods? They are plant-based foods. Now, I know that I'm speaking to the choir here because those young people that often come to GYC have already established many of these principles into their lives. But my friends, if you are already doing it, then we have a great responsibility to share it with someone else, don't we? We have a great responsibility to share these things. And that's why I want to share with you today as we go on how you can share this in such a positive way and have cooking schools that are inviting that people just can't wait to get there the next week or to the next class because they see that you're not only presenting it in a positive way, but they like your enthusiasm. They, want, they love your loving spirit. And so we have a responsibility. But protective foods are plant-based foods just simply such as fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables. That was God's original diet. And yet, my friends, the truth of the matter is that over 50%, well over 50%, are non-vegetarians in the Seventh-day Adventist church. So why are many Adventists getting cancer and some of these diseases? Because first of all, many are still eating heavily meat and other products that uh, are actually contributing to many of these diseases. And population groups who eat a wide variety of protective foods have a reduced rate of both cancer and heart disease. So if you study populations, you study, some of you may have uh, the book, The China Study, and all the study that was done in the last 10 years of a plant-based diet and the benefits, and yet we still continue, even in the church, with all the counsel that we've had, to continue on an animal-based diet. And so we, I share with them in my class, eat at least five to nine fruits and vegetables every day. Now, our daughter is a registered dietitian. She works for Amen right now, which is Adventist Medical Evangelism Network uh, uh, with a group of physicians and dentists. But she worked in the children's hospital for many years. 
And in the children's hospital, she would tell us that the dietitians at that time wanted to get the children to eat more fruits and veggies. And so they would say, eat five a day, the five a day plan. But now nutritionists are telling us that we need at least nine fruits and veggies a day. And so we need to eat fruits in the morning and vegetables and, 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 and at noon and, and eat our fruits and veggies throughout the day. But many are on a very high protein meat diet. In fact, I was just in Martinique and a lady came up to me and she said, I can't believe what you just presented because she said, what about this high-protein diet. I'm on, I'm on the high-protein diet to lose weight. And of course, you know there were some, some people out there promoting the high-protein diet to help lose weight, and they lose it for a time but often gain it back, but they contract other diseases and have been contracting heart disease and cancer as a result. In fact, some of the promoters of those diets have actually died with cancer. And so I said, uh, well, if you're asking me and I tell you honestly, I have to say it would be best to get off that high-protein diet and onto a moderate protein diet with fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables, and you will do much better. And you'll be able to control your weight as well. And we go over weight control in our, in our program as well. But the best diet would consist of at least 50% alkaline-forming foods. And we share with the people what are the alkaline-forming foods and what are the acidic foods. And alkaline-forming foods include your fruits, vegetables, lentils, and some nuts. And so all your fruits and vegetables are your alkaline-forming foods, and your acidic foods are your meat and your fish, your poultry, your eggs, your processed foods your desserts, your fast foods, and some grains. Now, some people said to me, oh, Mrs. Finley, does that mean we don't eat whole grains? No, we eat whole grains, but that's what we have for at least 40 to 50% of our diet. In other words, the alkaline foods of fruits and vegetables and some legumes and all the rest is at least 50 to 60 percent. And then the other 30, 40, 50 percent, however you figure your diet, then that is with your grains. And then so that you don't have a high acidic forming uh, diet because those are what set the stage as well for these diseases. Many problem, health problems are associated with our body being too acidic. And so why are people having an acidic forming, uh, I mean, why are their bodies becoming very acidic and very toxic, basically very toxic and poisonous? It's because they have a high acidic diet rather than an alkaline diet, and all your plant foods are your, um, are your alkaline forming foods. And the body is less efficient at removing toxins when it's high acidic diet. And so, if you want to live longer, make right choices. That's principle number one. So principle number one is help people to see that they just make right lifestyle choices. That's what they do is right lifestyle choices. 
And they can do that on a fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetable diet. This is just one of the displays that I have at my cooking schools. We have an array of fruits and nuts and grains and vegetables, and they see all the things that they can do with a plant-based diet. Now, principle number two for good nutrition, reduce the cholesterol. People have high cholesterol from high cholesterol intake. Plants, a plant-based diet contains no cholesterol, but uh, an animal diet contains lots of cholesterol. Animal foods are high in cholesterol, and eggs are one of the highest known sources of cholesterol to man. And so when I come to my cooking schools, my friends, we don't I've been doing cooking school since 1969, since that first one that I shared with you this morning. I've never had a debate in my cooking school. I've never had somebody stand up and, and be upset with what we're doing because they're excited. They see that we're giving them principles of health and they see all the demonstrations of the various foods and the things that they can eat and they say, thank you so much. I never realized we had all of the options of a vegetarian diet. And so I never mention the fact that I'm not using eggs. I just do everything without them. And they see all that they can do. We don't make a big issue. So you're not taking something away from them, but you're giving them something better in its place, correct? And that's your goal. But no plant foods have any cholesterol. So when you give them a plant-based diet, you have no cholesterol. So you want to cut down on cholesterol? You want to help people cut down on cholesterol? Help them get onto a plant-based diet. Dr. Neil Nedley, someone who has done, written many books in America and has done many lectures on depression recovery and on uh, other subjects, in his book, Proof Positive, has written a high intake of cholesterol, which is present in meat, eggs, and dairy products, has also been linked to an increased incidence of cancer in several studies. So why are we sometimes so hesitant to share these things with other people? You see, if we can just help them to see the beauty of all this and how healthy they can be, then we have done them a favor. And so let's look at the advantages of a vegetarian diet. Well, it lowers cholesterol. It lowers types of high blood pressure. It lowers the risk of heart disease. It even lowers the risk of certain types of cancer, osteoporosis. And by the way, my friends, osteoporosis is not only hitting women, but also men. So it is on the rise, and it is something that we need to be aware of today because it is hitting actually white females, Americans, Europeans, and some Asians. And so it is very highly pre prevalent in, um, in the Caucasian world. And so we need to be uh, 
aware of osteoporosis, and it improves diabetes. Diabetes is out of control in many countries. It enhances vigor and endurance. You want to have more energy? You want to have more vigor? You want to be able to uh, do more things with more, much more energy? Then a plant-based vegetarian diet is going to do this, and it's going to lengthen your lifespan. So there are many, many reasons to help people to get onto a plant-based vegetarian diet. Councils on Diets and Foods, page 388, says this. The meat diet is a what kind of question? Serious. It's a serious question. Shall human beings live on the flesh of dead animals? The answer from the light that God has given is no. Decidedly no. We shall not subsist. This was not God's plan. And it's not, God, it's not going to be God's plan in the new earth. So if we're going to learn to eat up there, we need to learn how to eat down here, right? Because we're not going to be jumping on the back of a cow and slaughtering it and uh, cooking it and eating it. That's not going to happen. God is going to give back to us his original diet of fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables. And you know what, my friends? When we educate our tastes, they actually taste good. And uh, it's a matter of educating our tastes as well. She continues saying, the testimony of examiners is that very few animals are free from disease. And she wrote this in 1897. In 1897, she said, very few of these are free from disease. And that the practice of eating largely of meat is contracting diseases of all kinds. We know. We know how cancer is coming and how, how, how people get it. She says, the practice of eating largely of meat is contracting diseases of all kinds. Cancers, tumors, scrofulia, which is basically a tumor of, of the throat. And so it's another tumorous cancer. Tuberculosis and a number of other like affections. And again, she wrote this in 1897. We are so privileged to have insights into the spirit of prophecy. We know how cancer is getting here and why it's becoming so prevalent around the world with over 3 million contracting cancer every year right here in Europe. That's what it is right here in Europe. And she says in the Australian Union record, 1899, the light. Where did she get the light? From God, the light given me is that it will not be very long before we shall have to give up using any animal food. Even milk will be discarded and disease is accumulating rapidly. And so all we know, and this is one of the problems with some of the Adventists contracting some of the cancers, stomach cancer, breast cancer, uh, all the various colon cancers and many cancers is because many Adventists, well, over 50% are eating meat, and then the ones who become vegetarians often substitute milk, eggs, cheese, and sugar 
for the meat, right? And it's the cancer feeds on sugar and fat. Now, cancer isn't going to have too much of a chance to grow on those carrots and that broccoli and all those other veggies that you put in there. They're gonna, cancer's going to struggle a little bit with some growth. But it goes fast and feeds fast on sugar and fat. So if people are getting cancer, and then what happens? They eat lots of dairy, they eat lots of cheese, they eat lots of milk and eggs and all the rest, and the sugar and the fat, and then cancer feeds on that, and so that it, so that it grows very rapidly. And so she said back, and she said, tell them that the time will soon come when there'll be no safety in using eggs, milk, cream, or butter, because disease in animals is increasing in proportion to the increase of wickedness in men. And this was written in 1902. And now here we are in 2012, and have we learned anything? Have we learned? And I know, as I said, I'm speaking to the choir because I know that many of you are doing this, but my encouragement to you is to help others because I know there are others in our churches who are not following this. We see it when you have a potluck, right? You have a potluck dinner, and we haven't taught our people how to have a plant-based vegetarian diet in our churches even. And so you, we have a responsibility. But yet, she says, here's the good news. Councils on Diets and Foods, 359. She says, God isn't going to leave us without the proper diet and without accessibility to the proper foods. She says, in all parts of the world... And I tell this to people when I meet with them in Martinique, when I meet with them in uh, uh, Africa, when I meet with them in, you know, all the various parts of the world, whether it's Europe or U.S. or wherever. In all parts of the world, provision will be made to supply the place of milk and eggs. So we will have, we have provision. And of course, you have an abundance here. Uh, this country in Countries in Europe, many places in Europe don't struggle like some of the countries uh, where we do some of our health programs. Dr. Neil Nedley on page 29 also says, lung cancer, colon cancer, cancers of the pancreas, liver, kidney, and womb have been linked to a more liberal intake of specifically uh, of meat and specifically animal products in general. So science is proving this. There have been other studies at universities. Uh, in my actual classes for the public, I have many uh, things from the American Medical Association, from Harvard University, from Yale University, from the Mayo Clinic, from many uh, places, from London University, from other places around the world that show these scientific facts. The liability for disease is increased by meat eating. Now, I actually show that particular one in my class, and I know that is true because also we are told, I don't show this one, I just say it's increased many times by meat eating. But Ellen White says, 
the liability to take disease is increased tenfold by meat eating. Now, what if I could tell you or you could tell your audience, how would you like to reduce cancer by at least half? How would you like to say, okay, uh, you could increase, or how, what would you think about uh, the fact that you could increase cancer two times or three times or four times? But what if I told you that there are some lifestyle practices that will increase cancer by 10 times? Would you want to follow what we have? And well, here it is. The liability to take disease is increased tenfold by meat eating. And so we know that it is increased. Cancers, tumors, pulmonary diseases are largely caused by meat eating. And many die. Just a few, right? No. Many die of diseases wholly due to meat eating when the real cause is scarcely suspected by themselves or others. So they don't even know that that's what it is. They don't know that that's what's causing the disease. They don't know that that's what brought on their heart disease. They don't know that that's what brought on their cancer. They don't even know it. But that's what it is. And that's why when we share with them all the many things they can do with a plant-based diet, they get very excited. And over 200 studies in the last 25 years have shown that those eating a plant-based diet can reduce their cancer by 50%. You can reduce cancer by going on to a plant-based diet. And yes, we can even reverse heart disease by a plant. In fact, that's the only way that we can really reverse actually reverse heart disease is on a plant-based diet. And eating plant-based foods, eating plant-based foods reduces the risk of heart disease, adult diabetes, and even high blood pressure. And many of the people that come to our classes also suffer with high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and certainly diabetes because it is on the rise. Vegetarians live at least seven to eight years, and vegan vegetarians, 10 to 12 years. And those are documented studies. I had the privilege of actually being one of the participants in the um, Adventist health study that was done out of Loma Linda Medical uh, University. And it's very detailed. Uh, some of you may have, is there anyone here that was a part of that study? Anyone part of that study? Well, it takes at least four or five hours to fill out. And they have discovered that those that are on a vegetarian diet actually live longer than the, than the, um, the, than the general population. And those on a vegan vegetarian diet can live as long as 12 even uh, 10 to 12 years longer. So how do you plan a balanced menu on all of this? Uh, and I share this with them, that look, your diet is going to be balanced, but you need a variety of fruits, grains, and nuts and vegetables. Eat nine fruits and vegetables every day. Get plenty of fiber and reduce the fat and sugar and eat less salt and even juice occasionally so you get some of those good 
uh, antioxidants and watch your calories and drink plenty of water. If you do this, you're going to have a balanced diet and a balanced menu. And so it's not a matter of being deficient. There are people think, oh, if you're a vegetarian, what do you eat? In fact, they think, you don't, you know, what do you eat anyway? Do you eat just salads? In fact, we had a young couple in their 30s, business, late, mid to late 30s, that came to our last cooking school that we just had in this last February in Mobile, Alabama. Now, Mobile, Alabama is in the deep south. If you know anything about the south, you know this, that they have uh, one of the highest uh, uh, factors, risk factors in cancer and heart disease because they're on a very high fat diet. They eat lots of meat. They put even bacon and butter in all of their vegetables. It's just amazing. And we had a nutrition class there. Had over 170 people that came, many of them from the community, mostly non-Adventists. And we had a young couple that came in their mid-30s, business people. They own their own business, have several people working for them. And they came because they are very, they were staunch Baptists. We actually just baptized them. But they came to the cooking school because they wanted to go on uh, the Daniel fast. They wanted to cleanse themselves and they read about a Daniel fast. And, and so they were praying that God would lead them. And they came and they just ate like salads almost every day. They didn't know what to eat. They said, we didn't know what to eat, but we kept eating salads, and then we prayed, and God led us to your cooking school. And they said, what a privilege it was to see all the many things that we could actually eat because we were getting tired of just salad every day. And we actually baptized that couple uh, who came. But we can have a balanced diet. And getting the balance right means the largest portion of our diet should consist of basically fruits and vegetables first, fruits and vegetables, and then grains, and then nuts and seeds, and a moderate amount of protein. Most of us, even as those people who are vegetarians, usually are over-proteined. We're getting more than adequate amounts of protein. And then principle number three. Principle number three is good nutrition means eating foods high in fiber. That means getting lots of fiber in our diet. But you know what? That's a big thing right now in the United States. I don't know uh, here in Europe, but I know around the world, fiber is becoming because as we have a high fibrous diet, we get rid of all of those toxins that build up in the system, which actually contribute again to cancer. And so we need a high fiber diet. And we can jumpstart that with a good breakfast, eating a good breakfast. And a good breakfast contains lots of fruit and lots of grains and nuts and seeds that are high in fiber. And all fruit has an abundance of fiber. And so that's why we don't want to juice all the time as well, because you want that fibrous part of the fruit, because it's high in the fiber that we need every day. A good breakfast should also contain 
one-third to one-half of our calories. I have people coming to my programs all the time that want to go on to a uh, weight control diet. And you know what? If they eat the way that we're sharing with them, you're going to control your weight. You're going to control your weight because eating a good breakfast and a good lunch, we can even eliminate or eat very simply in the evening and you'll control your weight right there. Now you can be the same weight when you're in your 50s and 60s that you were when you were in your 20s. I know, yes, you can. You can maintain your ideal weight if you go on to a good program in your lifestyle habits, eating a good breakfast, one-third to one-half of your daily calories in the morning, and then eating a good lunch, a good substantial, actually, dinner, that we would call it, and then eating light in the evening or Maybe we don't, some people wouldn't need anything at all. But some people do need a third meal. Uh, some people do. And I don't say everybody can do well on two meals because some people may not maintain their ideal weight and they're too thin. Have you ever seen some people that's just too skinny, too, too thin? And so you need to maintain your ideal weight eating a breakfast like a king and a lunch like a prince and a supper like a pauper. In other words, eating a great breakfast, eating a wonderful, substantial lunch, and eating light in the evening will give us actually adequate nutrition and actually control our weight. And then I show people, these are some of the things that you can do for breakfast. Now, when people come to the cooking schools and you're holding a cooking school in your church, you need to share with them all the things that they can do. And so I share, look at these wonderful, delicious waffles made with no animal products at all. Just made with the natural foods of the earth. It's all plant-based. And I show them the waffles and the wonderful fruits that they can get. And all the whole grains. These are all my own breads that I made. And I show them all the wonderful things about whole grains and how we need those rich carbohydrates and the fiber and the protein and the vitamins and the minerals and a host of phytochemicals that come in the whole grains. And yet, the tendency around the world is to eat breads that have been depleted of all these nutrients because they've been refined. And so we share with them how to make that. And then beans and rice, and there are good sources of fiber and protein. And how much fiber do we need? We share with them that it's important to get at least 30 grams per day. And yet, the average person in North America and around the world are getting less than 50% of the recommended amount of dietary fiber. And so why do we need to have classes on how to make bread? In fact, bread, bread making is one of my first classes that I give because it's non-controversial totally. In fact, I hadn't always included bread making in my classes. And 
we were doing cooking schools, and I was asked to, early in our ministry, I was asked to teach a physician and a doctor how to do bread making classes. And uh, then they said, well, oh, Pastor Finley, could you go down and advertise for us? Because we don't know how to do advertising. And so he went down to the newspaper editor and said, we have a physician and his wife who's a nurse that want to conduct some health classes on um, vegetarianism. And she said, well, I'm not interested in vegetarianism, but I am interested in bread making. Do you know anyone that makes good whole grain bread? And my husband said, well, yes. As a matter of fact, my wife makes bread every week in our home. Maybe I could bring by a loaf. And so he came home and told me he wanted a loaf of bread to bring to the newspaper editor. Brought it down, and then he came home and he said, now you need to fix bread in every form. Bread coming out of the oven, bread already baked, bread mixed up, all of this. And they're going to come out and take uh, and interview us. And then they brought a photographer and took some pictures. And my husband was interviewing with the food editor, and the photographer was taking all these pictures. And I said to my husband, what are they going to do with all of this? No one, people aren't that interested in bread-making classes. And he said, the, the next day, a newspaper article, big news, I still have it today, a big newspaper article came out, best bread ever baked, and two pages of a bread article, and at the end of that, it said, to register for classes, call. And I said, oh, Mark, somebody's having bread classes. And he said, yeah, you are. And I said, Mark Finley, I've never had a bread class in my life. I wouldn't even know what to do. And again, he said to me, oh, it's easy. And I had to figure out how I would have a bread class, what I would do in that bread class, how I would have to have the second stage all mixed up and ready to go because it's going to rise, you know, and I need time for that. And you know what? I found, I found that all over the world, that, particularly in North America, because I've done many in North America, all over many cities, from, from New England all the way to California, from, uh, from the north and to the south. And I have found that people love bread-making classes because you're giving them something. It's something totally non-controversial. And so on the average, North Americans, along with others, get 50% less fiber than we need. And so what is wrong here? And fiber stimulates the colon to discharge the waste faster. In other words, you're going to get rid of those toxins when you have a high-fiber diet. And without a high-fiber diet, those toxins are going to lay dormant in the system. And so again, fiber reduces the risk of cancer. So you're beginning to get the picture. All of these plant-based foods are reducing heart disease, cancer, diabetes, and all the diseases that we are facing in the 21st century around the world. So there are seven, just in kind of summary, there are seven golden rules here for good nutrition. Number one is eat a plant-based diet. Just eat a plant-based diet. Help people to see that this is going to help them. And then 
Whole grains, legumes, and nuts are high in your protein, so you're not going to be lacking in protein and all the different foods. And then I share with them. I have my book, my new cookbook that I've done, and I share pictures with them. Uh, each one that comes to our cooking school actually gets one of these cookbooks, and we share how to make some of these roasts. So you see all the things that they can get and the patties, the burgers, the spaghetti and the meatballs, whole grain spaghetti and meatballs and the roasts and the gluten steaks and all of the various things that we can get with a plant-based diet. And so people come. And then number two, just some simple principles of how we can live longer and have some simple principles of nutrition. Reduce fat and cholesterol consumption. A high-fat diet reduces cancer, again, and heart disease. So get people eating more salads. I have many salads in my book because there are so many people that... Now, we've had good food here, right? And we've been very fortunate, but... This is not the regular diet of many people, at least that I'm working with. They're on a very high-fat diet. We teach them all the various salads that they can have. And then reduce sugar consumption. These are just a few quick things uh, on principles of good health. Reduce the sugar consumption. In fact, Ellen White says, and again, we need to take this all in balance, but she says in Councils on Diets and Foods 328, and from the light given me, sugar when largely, she says a simple piece of apple pie or lemon pie is fine, but when from the light given me, sugar when largely used is even more injurious than meat. And so we need to watch the sugar content. And here's what I show them again. I just share with them that large amounts of sugar, I don't quote Ellen White specifically, I just say large amounts of sugar clogs the system. And large amounts of sugar will contribute again to some of these diseases that we've been talking about. And then I show them my fruit pie extravaganza with all the fruit in here. And then I show them the cookies that they can make and the, and the carob cakes that they can make. Someone has a birthday? Yes, we have a birthday party with a cake. Uh, uh, as you know, today's Pastor Finley's birthday. And if we were home, I would be making him a birthday cake. And... Uh, Yes, because all of these things are healthy. And here's a carrot pie with no sugar at all, made with natural dates. And so people begin to see in some fruit balls with natural fruits. And even some homemade ice cream. Yes, you see all the things that we can have, my friends? We can have all these things, even a banana split. In fact, I end my last cooking school with simple, healthful desserts, and I show them how that we're all going to have banana splits tonight. And we're going to have some good health ice cream and a good banana right on the bottom of that banana split. And on top of that, we're going to have some berries, some strawberries and blackberries and peaches and whatever, and we're going to top it off with some good walnuts, high in protein, wonderful natural fats of uh, some good walnuts. And by the way, 
studies were just done in two places at Loma Linda and also Harvard University that shows that men who eat walnuts at least three times a week reduce their heart disease by 50%. Amazing. Amazing what all these natural foods will do. So we show them all of these wonderful things and then reduce the salt consumption, increase the consumption of fruits and vegetables and nuts and grains, eat a substantial breakfast. Making breakfast a better meal is important. I have one whole class on making breakfast a better meal. And studies show that eating a healthy breakfast can help you um, can give you a more nutritionally complete diet, better improved concentration and performance, and more strength and endurance. You want more strength? You want more endurance? You want, even they've showed that children in school who eat a good breakfast do better on tests than people who don't, than children who don't have breakfast. And I know that's true because I taught grades five through eight uh, earlier in my life, and I would see children who come to school without breakfast not doing nearly as well as those children that ate a good breakfast. And a good breakfast renews energy, helps us to work more efficiently. We get a third, remember, to a half of our daily calories. We reduce eating actually snacks. Did you know that? Eating a good breakfast helps us to reduce eating snacks in between meals so we control our weight better and it encourages regularity in our eating. And so I give people a whole lot of things in my natural lifestyle cooking cookbook. I give them an abundance of foods that they can eat. I teach them how that it's better to in the morning rather than waking up to that cup of coffee, eating some, drinking some even juices that even here, there are people that are squeezing their own orange juice in the morning. Amazing, all those fresh juices filled with vitamin C. And we teach them how to make their own granola. And even French toast without any eggs made from cashews. Amazing, just amazing and pancakes, and I show them how to make these wonderful blueberry, oatmeal, flaxseed pancakes. So you see, we're not taking anything away from people, and even some good natural syrup tapped from the trees, not refined, and uh, beautiful things that they can have, and waffles, and oatmeal pancakes, and fruit toasts, and even some breakfast beans. So we give them a variety of things, some good plain oatmeal, uh, just sweetened with a little bit of natural dates, and even some tofu, so that people say, what do I use in place of eggs? And we show them. You see, my friends, what we're trying to do here? We're trying to help people to see that they have a great variety with all these foods and all the fruits that they can eat all the wonderful fruit salads. In fact, we should even learn how to think about what fruits we're going to have rather than what main food. When I get up in the morning or even the night before, I'm thinking, what fruits am I going to feed to my husband, my family? What fruits do I have? What are going to be the fruits? And then I base that uh, 
I base everything around that because most of us, or at least most of the world, not maybe you here, but most of the world aren't getting enough fruits and veggies. And then homemade bread making made easy. I show them how to do that. And all the various kinds of bread, from oatmeal raisin bread to rye bread to uh, rolls and all the things they can do. And then I give them a prescription. And I just simply say, if you want to be healthy, here's your prescription. Here is your prescription for the day. Eat a wide variety of fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables, and you'll be healthy. Get eight to nine fruits and vegetables every day. And here are some keys to a balanced diet. Eating the right kinds of food, eating the right amounts of food, and eating at the right times. And so we help people to see and then Allow adequate time between your meals to give yourself a rest because one of the problems is that our food is not digesting properly because we're eating so many times. And again, I'm speaking to the choir because I know you know some of these principles, but you teach them to the public and they don't know. They're eating every time of the day, so their food isn't digesting. And as a result of that, they lay dormant in the system, they become toxic, and then they are setting the stage for these free radicals of cancer of the colon and cancer of... Uh, uh, throughout our entire system, our stomach and around. And then I give them a simple prescription. Choose God's laws of health. Eat good nutritious food. Drink plenty of water. Exercise in the sunshine and fresh air. Abstain from everything harmful. Get good regular sound sleep and trust in God. And my friends, I share then the best diet is a vegetarian diet. And you'll get all the nutrients you need in a vegetarian diet diet. God's health plan is the best. And, th and then as we end this section, before Pastor Finley comes and exercises with you and we share how to implement this in your church, Councils on Diets and Food says this, if our members of our churches disregard the light on this subject, she's talking about health reform, disregard the light on this subject, they will reap the sure result in both spiritual and physical degeneracy. So if we disregard the health message and what we're talking about today, then we will reap the results in both spiritual and physical degeneracy. Everywhere people are perishing for a lack of knowledge of these truths that's been to, committed to us as Seventh-day Adventists. They're, they're dying for these truths. They're perishing for, these, for a lack of these truths. The members of our church are in need of an awakening that they may realize their responsibility to impart these truths. So I share with you today, don't be afraid to share these truths. We have to be bold today. But you know what? The people are appreciating it. The people that come to our evangelistic meetings say thank you so much for sharing these health principles right here in these meetings. And so don't be afraid to share them because people are open. In fact, National Geographic's 
sold over 22 million copies of How People Can Live Longer, and they were featuring Seventh-day Adventists as one of the longest living civilizations in the world. Seventh-day Adventists because of the health message. And some of you may be aware or not aware that former President of the United States, Bill Clinton, has become a vegan vegetarian. He's on a plant-based diet. Now, he said he had some ulterior motives. His first was he wanted to lose weight for Chelsea's wedding. So one is that, but the other is, is that he has heart disease, and he had a triple bypass, and he wanted to reverse his heart disease, and he realized as he studied this whole issue that the only way he could reverse it was on a plant-based diet, and so he has become a plant-based vegan vegetarian, and it was on CNN, a major news network, both in uh, the United States and here in Europe as well. And so Medical Ministries 239 says, it, medical missionary work, is the gospel practiced, the compassion of Christ revealed, and of this work there is a great need and the world is open to it. The world is open to it, my friends. No question about it. And so the door of health is open now and now it's time to open the door of the church. So the door of health is open now, and that's why my husband and I have committed our lives to doing these cooking schools. My husband does it with me. Now, he doesn't know how to cook. He's not a cook, but I have him helping me give some of the scientific materials because when I'm up there demonstrating bread and I need to wash my hands and get ready for the next stage, I say, now... Uh, Mr. Finley or Mark will tell you how, what are some of the benefits of eating this good whole grain bread. And then they're already introduced to him. And so when we invite them to come to our next seminar, and we invite them openly, we say at the end of our five, six, seven weeks, whatever we are doing, our programs, four, five, whatever many as we have, we say to them, now, ladies and gentlemen, you have been thrilled as you've been coming to these last few classes on nutrition. And you've been excited as you've learned principles of how you can live 10 to 12 years longer. But we'd like to invite you to the next seminar, which is called Revelation of Hope or Discoveries. And Ushers, would you pass out the brochures right now? And we pass them out in our health programs. And you know what? people come. In one class that we had in Chattanooga, Tennessee, we had over a hundred people that transferred from our nutrition class to our evangelistic meetings. So we get people into our evangelistic meetings, and we're going to share with you in the next session how we can actually transfer. Pastor Finley is going to share with you some principles on transferring people from the health to the evangelistic meetings. And then we're going to share with you how to set this whole thing up in your church. So Pastor Finley, why don't you come? We're going to stand up and exercise a bit. And then we're going to go into the next session where he's going to share with you how to transition people from health into 
the biblical, and then also some principles of how we can uh, set this whole program up in our churches. Are you ready for your test? All right, we're going to take five minutes and have the test before we exercise. You ready? All right, take out your paper and pen. I'm not fooling around. Come on. <laughs> All right, you ready for your test? Okay. There are only, but we're all going to help one another on the test. All right? So this is a group test. It's group think. All right? You're ready to go. I want you to tell me five health principles in the Old Testament that Moses outlined that were far ahead of the time. Okay? The reason I want you to have pencils and papers out is because you're going to want to use this sometime. So you're not going to turn these in. These are for you. Okay? Five health principles in the Old Testament that Moses gave that were far ahead of his time, that, were, that modern science has caught up with today. Now, they have to be from the books of Moses, okay? Number one. Yes, ma'am. Don't eat fat and blood. Why did Moses say not to eat fat? Certainly, there were ceremonial aspects, but the fat aspect had to do with today. Do we know that a high-fat diet, high cholesterol, creates uh, a predisposition to heart disease? Sure. What about blood? We know that blood, it transferred through blood, is disease of animals. So don't eat fat and blood far ahead of its time. Second principle of Moses, yes. Don't eat unclean animals. Um, Today, there would be those that would argue that there's not good scientific evidence for unclean animals, but their argument is weak. It's very weak. Um, you can look at some of the studies done in universities where they have taken the toxicity of animals, and uh, pork is one of the highest toxicities. So uh, there, that, there is good scientific evidence for not eating pork. It's one of the highest in fat as well. So I've got fat and blood. I've got poor, any kind of unclean animals. Um, when you include unclean animals, we're going to include the sea products too. Dr. Bruce Halstead was employed by the United States government after the Second World War. And Halstead was given a boat and a crew. And he was given an award of money by the United States government. And they said, look, flyers have been shot down. And these flyers that have been shot down have been in the ocean, American flyers, and often these pilots that have been shot down have eaten unclean foods, and, and they've eaten sea creatures, and they got very sick. And they said to Bruce Halstead, we want you to write a manual. Take pictures of the sea creatures. These you can eat, these you can't eat. And so he spent a year, took pictures of the sea creatures. The United States government paid him all this money. He gave the manual. Then he said, if the flyers lose the manual, all they have to do is remember one rule. If it has fins and scales, it's okay. If it doesn't have fins and scales, don't eat it. Oh, I, I wish the government would have paid me that money. I just told them straight from the Bible anyway. So, okay, there's two rules. One is unclean foods, good scientific evidence. Second rule, is, uh, first, first one we mentioned that you mentioned was the fat and blood. Okay, third one, yes. Yeah, great, great, great. Cleanliness. Remember, and, and I'm going to take this a little further. Um, Vienna, Austria. How many, how many Austrians here? Austrians. All right. Who's your famous doctor? Centuries ago, a couple centuries ago, Vienna, Austria. Semmelweis. Okay. What did Semmelweis do now? What did Semmelweis do? Come on, you Austrians. Help me now. Hand wash. You are a good student, young lady. Great. That's an A. 
hand washing after dissection. Here's what Semmelweis found out. All right. 18% of the women giving childbirth here in Austria were dying. 18% of the women who gave birth in hospitals were dying. But if you had a midwife that was an Austrian and she delivered a baby, the death rate was less than 3%. So Simmelweis is trying to figure out why do they die in the hospital and why don't they die when the midwife delivers them? This is what he discovers. His medical students are coming from the cadaver lab when their hands are in the cadavers, not washing their hands, delivering the women's babies. And the babies are dying. The women are dying. Moses said, if you touch a dead body or dead carcass, you have to wash your hands. So the issue of cleanliness was revolutionary in Moses' day. Why is it revolutionary? Because there's no concept of bacteria. So it's totally revolutionary, way ahead of its time. Okay, that's the third. I'm just asking for five. We could go many more. I need two more. What are two more? Yes. How long to keep your food? Good point. If food spoiled, it could not be eaten. It had to be destroyed. So they had no concept of rottenness or disease, but Moses had that. Okay, that's four. Give me a couple more. Yeah. Milk and flesh, a little more difficult scientifically to prove, and there were some reasons for that, but we're going to leave that one out because the scientific evidence is not as strong today. Okay, yes. Yeah, and interesting, you know, he says, you're, you're talking about um, um, cleansing by using fire and water. What, what sense is that? You burn the logs, there's lye in the ash, and soap is made for lye. And if you look at the prescription that, you're get, that Moses gives you for cleansing, it's antifungal, it's antibacterial, and it's cleansing. Very fascinating. So the concept in the Old Testament of, of cleansing and soap is there. But there's one major one you're missing. You've got to get it for me. Yeah. Mold and bacteria, that is one. It's a good one, but there's one big one. I'll, I'll go this side, yeah. Quarantine, you got it. That's the one I wanted, yeah. Quarantine. In other words, when you get a person that's a leper, separate them. And you remember when the Black Plague came through Europe and, the black, and people were dying by the what? Thousands when the Black Plague came through. Dying by thousands. And what did the Christian church say? Took out the Old Testament and said, you got to quarantine, separate those that are sick. Why did I just do that little exercise? Because I want you to sense that just as archaeology demonstrates the Bible is true, just as prophecy demonstrates the Bible is true, the health laws of Moses were far in advance. Where did Moses go to school? Where did he go to school? University of Manchester, England. University of Frankfurt. Where did he go to school? University of Egypt. He had a PhD from Egypt. He learned medicine from Egypt. What is the famous medical textbook of Egyptians? Come on now, you got to help me. 
What's the, what's the title of the Egyptian textbook written in the days of Moses that is so famous? I see blanks. Ebers Papyrus. You knew that all the time. You just couldn't pull it. It was in there. The Ebers Papyrus. Ah, you knew it. I knew. What does the Ebers Papyrus teach? If you've got an eye problem, you take the urine of a faithful wife and put it on your eyes. Teaches that. If you have an infection, you take the dung of a mole. If she's unfaithful, incidentally, you don't take it. But anyway, you take the dung of a mole. You take the excrement of a child. You put it together in a paste and you rub it on your infection. If you look at the Ebers papyrus, the Egyptians had some very sophisticated, fantastic cures. They did surgery. The Egyptians could put in glass eyes. The Egyptians could operate on you. They could do multiple things. But you know what? There were some things that were so bogus. Here's my question. Moses went to the University of Egypt. He never adopted those issues. But what did he adopt? Biblical principles. When you go out and follow the Bible or the spirit of prophecy, and you follow biblical divine principles, you are far, far, far ahead of many of the scientific methods. Moses was far ahead of his time. The Bible indeed is true. Stand up, 30 seconds of exercise, then we're going to go on something else. All right, you're ready to go. How do I do this with a microphone? I don't need one. We know that when the blood does not circulate, the possibility of heart disease increases dramatically. That's one of the reasons why on long-term flights, you have a higher incidence and risk of stroke, okay? So if you're flying, I'm going to give you a little health principle if you're flying. If you fly more than an hour, you need to get up every hour in your flight, okay? So if you ever find a plane with me, every hour you'll see me up, walking up and down the aisle of the plane. And I'll teach you an exercise to do. Thank you so much. I'll teach you an exercise to do on the plane that'll help to reduce the possibility of stroke on the airplane. I'm looking for a wall. I'll use the, I'll use the table. I'll use the table. I can do it. So here's what you do. When you're on the plane, rubbing my hands. I think I'm crazy. That's okay. I don't worry. I come back. I find some wall in the plane, wherever I can find it. So here's a wall. Back up here. I don't want to go off. Okay. It's not too healthful if you fall down there. Um, so on the plane, I take my feet like this, and I begin to go down, typically as far as I can go. And usually I'm on the wall like this and not holding on, and then I'm up. So you can do that now. We'll do it without a wall. You ready? You got to keep your back as straight as possible. You got your legs out and you're down, 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 down. You can get down further than that. Come on now. Come on now. You can do further. Three people's pants split. Come on. <laughs> get up. You're up. I told you not to wear those tight pants. Come on. Back down. Well, you're going down. You're going up. Okay. 
You're going down. You're doing pretty good. You're not bad for beginners. Oh, you're going down. Oh, man, I don't know if I can go down again. Okay, down and up. I like to do that 25 times, okay? What are you talking about? That's just the beginning. How many times we just do? Five. Okay, keep going. Come on. I'll just do 10 because some of you are beginners. All right, let's go. Okay, I'm on nine now. I'll be easy on you today. All right, that's 10. The re why are you doing that? You want your heart to pump blood to your legs to circulate. Circulation is critical on the plane. Now, the next thing, these are plane exercises. All right, the next thing, you can sit down. The next thing is this. These are called ankle pumps. So what you do, if you're sitting a long time, we also know that when groups sit more than four hours a day, the incidence of heart disease is going to go up. So if you're a student, if you are... Um, if you're dealing with the whole concept of computer, and you're on your computer, you need to circulation. Ankle pumps are easy. Ankle pumps, you bring your toes up as far as you can, and then back down as far as you can. So straight up toes, down toes, up, down. So when you're sitting in these lectures, you ought to be giving some ankle pumps, because I don't want anybody to kill over with a heart attack here, see? So you're doing ankle pumps. And we do this all the time when we travel. You just circulate, you, you want good circulation. So first, I'll start with my ankles, like this, and just go back and forth. I usually do it about 15 or 20 times. Just up, down, up, down, up, down. And so you're just kind of getting some circulation. When your body begins to feel tight, I'll teach you some exercises that'll help to relieve stress. Have you ever been sitting like in class, or you go to university, and you're feeling quite, like you feel a lot of tension in your shoulders, stress. You ever, you ever have that feeling? Okay. What you do is you consciously start with your left leg. You can start with your right. It doesn't make any difference. And what we're going to do is I want you to concentrate on tightening your ankle. So you're, you're crunching up your toes. You're tightening your ankle as much as you can. Okay? Then concentrate on tightening from your knee down. Try to tighten your calves. Okay? Now, try to tighten from your, from your, your thighs. Just tighten. And then what I do is I tighten from the left down, right down. Then I take my arm and I squeeze my fist and I just, as much as I can, I just tighten. And to try to do it three times. And you just tighten everything up like this and then you just let it go. Then you tighten it up, those muscles, tight, 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 let it go. Tight, 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 let it go. Then you do the same thing with your shoulders. You go. Then you just let it go. Then you. When you're doing this in church, you better let your pastor know ahead of time or else he might think something's going yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, we usually don't do it in church. <laughs> By, see, muscles are, your muscles are designed to expand and contract, okay? So if you're feeling quite tight in your muscles, you contract them and then expand them. And it's like an elastic, you know, a band. If you pull it so hard like this and you go like this, and that's what the muscle is like. So you want to let expansion back and forth, and that will typically relax you. And I typically end doing that by just taking a few deep breaths, just breathing in, 
So those are just a few exercise techniques. If you're flying on the airplane, let's review them. You're flying on the airplane, what do you want to do? Every hour, you're up and walk to increase your blood. If you are flying on the airplane, you find a place where you can put your back against the wall, and then as your back is against the wall, you go as low as you possibly can, and then get up again. Then, if you're sitting for long periods of time, you concentrate on tightening your muscles, then relaxing the muscles that you have tightened to give your body relaxation. Okay? That's going to be helpful to you, I'm sure. Tini, why don't you go on with our next session? Well, in this last session, we're just going to, Pastor Finley will share it with me as well, but I just want to quickly share with you how you can start a health ministry in your church, okay? <clears throat> First point, consider the end from the beginning. In other words, where are you going? What's your purpose? What's your goal? What's the ultimate result you want to accomplish in all the overall plan? You see, people who have health programs in their church, that's great. But what's the ultimate plan? And sometimes the health program is over here, and it's never connected to what's over here. You see? So we need to connect it. What is the ultimate goal? And so you have a plan. You have a strategic plan for mission even. You're, you're coordinating with your entire church. In other words... In fact, we learn a lot from our, uh, our leaders and our brethren in South America and inter-America. The church is growing rapidly. It's the fastest growing divisions in the world uh, for a Seventh-day Adventist. And they tell us, the problem with you in North America is that you're all scattered. You don't do everything together. In other words, your personal ministries director and your women's ministries director and your Sabbath school and all of these are working in different directions. You pull together. So when you have a health program, you have many people involved and then you connect that with the, um, with the rest of what's happening particularly in your spirit lines of spiritual. So what is your strategic plan? Do you have a calendar? Every evangelistic series that we have in North America, we have an evangelistic calendar. In January, we do this. In February, we do this. In March, and we have a year to a year and a half calendar of everything that we're going to do in the church. So you have a plan. It's not that you just hold a cooking school here and a stress management here and a stop smoking plan there, but you have a strategy. You have a plan. In fact, you're holding regularly your cooking schools, your health classes, your uh, lectures on the eight natural laws of health or principles of health, and you're holding that every quarter or twice uh, a year or three times a year or whatever, so that it's ongoing and so that you have a plan for your church. And that's how the church grows. That's when you become effective in your health programming. So you have a plan, a biblical plan for mobilizing the church members is simply found in 1 Corinthians 12. We won't go through all of that, but to summarize it, you have diversities of gifts, you have differences of ministries, and you have activities. But it's 
the same God who works all in all. And then if you go on in that text, you will see that each one has gifts. And so you use all of those. You use the gifts, the ministries, and the activities. And here's how it works. You have a health ministry. So you have a health ministry. That's the ministry. Now the you plan the activities. The activities are maybe a stop smoking plan, maybe a health expo, and that's a good place to start. That's usually where we start. We have an entire health expo, and that all these different booths, as people come into the church, they see all the different booths, and we go over uh, something in each of the booths, and when they come to the uh, one on trust and divine power, we have brochures there. We have materials there. We have books there. When they come to the water, we give them water. When we come to exercise, they have the step test. There's a lot going on in your health expo. And then we say the next nutrition class, when they come to the nutrition booth, is on February 14 or whatever it is. And you have a strategic plan. You see how it works? And then as you form your ministry, plan your activities, then the people will use their gifts. You don't need a gifts test to find out what gifts they have. You just need a ministry to plan the act and plan the activities, and they will use their various gifts. And then point number two is simply determine your program and select your materials. I had to launch out so many times when my husband said, we're going to have a cooking school, then he would usually do, say, okay, we're going to do a brochure. Well, I got to figure out how to do a cooking school. Now I've done it for 43 years, so I, I know a little more than I did 43 years ago. But when I started, I had to just launch out there and do it. And then and amazingly enough, God blessed and has blessed and given us some souls Every single one we have held. It is amazing. So plan your programs. Determine your materials. What am I going to use? Uh, am I going to do a creation health program? Am I going to do a new start program? Am I going to do a health and wellness program? Am I going to do a cooking school? What am I going to do? Am I going to do a natural lifestyle cooking? I'll tell you one thing. Natural lifestyle cooking attracts a lot of people. I had over 600 people in Orlando, Florida at my cooking school. Over 600. Over se the largest one I ever had uh, was over 700 in Chattanooga, Tennessee. People came out. People from the public. And you know what? When we were in Europe, they told me it won't work in Europe. And I said, and we were in Copenhagen, Copenhagen, Denmark. Anyone from Denmark here? Some yeah. people from Denmark. Well, they said, it won't work. You won't even get a dozen people out. I said, well, should we try it? Because if we get a dozen, that's a dozen more that we would have that we wouldn't if we didn't try it, right? And so we did. And you know what? I said, look, I will make it as Danish as I can. I will not Americanize it. I will go down to the shops. I will go down to the stores. I will find out what foods you have here. And we'll work with those foods. And we'll share these things. And you know what? I had for the first time in my history, and I've never had it again, and that was a double header cooking school in Copenhagen, Denmark. 
the hall sat 60 and they didn't think we'd even have a dozen and we had 60 and we had 60 a little more than 60 we had to pack them in in the second session one right after another a double header now we've had double header and triple header and quadruple headers evangelistic meetings but never a cooking school and it happened in Europe and you know what we had over 120 people and in London England and in Poland, we had 500 people at the cooking school in Poland. And they came from the cooking school into the evangelistic meeting. And so it works, my friends. Natural lifestyle cooking or any kind of cooking school, we call ours natural because we use all natural foods. And uh, people come because they're interested in food. People like to eat, right? Do you like to eat? You like to eat? Yes, we all like to eat. And so people are interested in food. They're interested in uh, what they can do with the various foods, the plant foods. Because, And we teach a vegetarian diet. Someone asked, well, do you teach a vegetarian diet? Yes, I teach them the optimal diet of eating a wide variety of fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables in my cooking school. That's what we do. And this includes a, a, a weight control. We help people when we teach them a plant-based diet with weight control. We teach them also in this same class how to reduce their heart disease and how to reduce cancer, how to reduce many of these killer diseases and even diabetes and so forth. And so we select our materials. We select our programs. Point number three, I'm just going to go through them quickly with you uh, so that we can get out on time. But select your team. Get a team. Go back from here and say, I'm going to get a team that's going to work with me. You can't do it by yourself. I can't do it by myself. I have people working with me. I say, look, I need people that have the gift of cooking. And do you know, ladies and also gentlemen, that those of you that can cook, you already have 10 talents. That's what Ellen White says. She says, those that know how to cook and use this gift have already 10 talents. And so if you have the gift of cooking, use it. You're using those 10 talents for Jesus. And so select your team. You need people to cook in the kitchen. You need people to register the people with the gift of, of friendliness and hospitality at the registration table. You need people that are are friendly at the serving table. It takes a whole team. So select your team. I use the principles that Jesus did, and I hand select these teams. And then you train and equip the team. You, you train them how to do this. You train them how to have a cooking school. You train them how to have a health expo. You train them how to do a stress management program. You train your team after you've selected them. And on your team, you want people who love people. You want people who have a burden for the lost, burden for the people in your community. You want people that are easy to work with. Because you don't want to be fighting a battle. I don't believe in this vegan vegetarian diet. I don't want to do this. I don't think it works. No, you want a team that's working together. A team that's uh, going to be unified. And so you select a team that will work with you. And a team with varied gifts. Everybody has gifts that they can contribute uh, to the team. Qualities of our te uh, team simply are... 
get people who are, yes, committed to the health message because you don't want to be battling one another. My friends, this is no time for the church to be battling one another. We need to be battling the enemy, right? Battling the enemy. And so you want people who are committed and people who are committed to Jesus and soul winning. Those are the kind of team members that you want. In every city we go in, we get a fabulous team. In fact, we don't even want to leave that place because we have such a fabulous team. And every city, whether it's Chicago, whether it's Los Angeles, whether it's uh, Mobile, Alabama, where we just came from, wherever it is, we get a team that works with us. A team that has church growth eyes and a soul-winning heart. And we teach them to ask non-threatening questions. Pastor Finley, I'm going to ask you to teach them about these non-threatening uh, questions. And then we'll go into the last few the parts. Yes. One of the things that we do is that as we are conducting any health program, let's suppose it's a cooking school, a stress management one of the things we're looking for is people who have their heart open to spiritual things. John Wesley had a concept that he called pervenient grace. And pervenient grace is the grace of God that works in a heart to open a person sensitively to the gospel. So if I have a group before me, let's suppose you're a group of non-Seventh-day Adventists, you're a health group, and you've come to a cooking school, you've come to a, you've come to a stress management workshop, what I'm praying for is, God, lead me to people in that class. We want to help everybody reduce heart disease. We want to help everybody reduce cancer. But God, lead us to people in that class who will be, have their hearts sensitive to the gospel. So after the class is over, they will get food samples. As they're eating their food samples, I'll walk down and I'll say to them, um, um, would you like me to give you a guided tour of your plate and they kind of look at me and they say, yeah, I don't know what this stuff is. <laughs> and I say, yeah, let me just give you a guided tour of your plate. That is lentil roast right over there. That's the cashew nut loaf. Those are the oatmeal patties. How do you like that one? And so I'm kind of giving them a guided tour of their plate. And we're teaching our team to do this. We're teaching them. And then in that process, I ask them question number one. How did you happen to learn about the health programs? Now, when you're doing soul winning, there's two kind of questions, one a threatening and one a non-threatening. Threatening questions leave people hostile, they leave people defensive, and they leave people closed if you ask them threatening questions. Let me give you a threatening question. It's in the tone of my voice, and it's the question. Don't you think you ought to give up meat? <laughs> Oh, yeah, I got my mic here. Oh, yeah, you can turn this one on. Fine. So when I'm, I'm like this in your face, don't you think you ought to give up meat? What's your reaction? No, I don't. <laughs> you know? so, I mean, so, so that's a very threatening question. When I ask, though, how did you happen to learn about the health programs? Is that threatening or non-threatening? Very non-threatening. Non-threatening questions leave people open. They leave people responsive. So how did you happen to learn about the health programs? Oh, I learned because I saw an advertisement in the paper. I'd never been into a church like this before. Bingo, I know. No background at all. Oh, I learned because I have a neighbor who's a Seventh-day Adventist, and they invited me. That first question helps me, doesn't it? Because I know something about the person's background. Second question I ask is, 
Uh, have you been interested in health for a real long time, or is health a new interest for you? How'd you get interested in health? You know what? I was reading the Bible, and I'm a new Christian, and I really got interested in, in health. I really became interested in it. Bingo, that tells me something. Uh, no, I've not, this is not new for me. You know, I've been a vegetarian for a long time, so I'm dialoguing with the people. First question is, what's the first question, everybody? Come on now. It's, I know it's late in the day. First question is, how did you happen to learn about what? Health program. Second question is, have you been interested in health a long time? Third question? I'll say something like this. You know, and let's, you know, Mrs. Finley was speaking a little bit about the fact that we're physical and mental and spiritual beings. Um, is the spiritual something that you have probed in your life very much? Very non-threatening, isn't it? So I'm, I'm saying, you know, uh, Mrs. Finley has talked about, um, have you ever th thought about the spiritual aspects of health? You know, there are some studies that indicate that people that are praying, people that are going to church, people that have a vital Christian experience, uh, that they have reduced rates of heart attack. Have you ever thought about the spiritual aspects much? So what I want to do is try after those health meetings to create a spiritual dialogue. And then I pick out the people in the health meetings with whom I've had a spiritual dialogue the previous night and continue to concentrate on those with most of my time. So I will share, I'll say hi to a lot of people. I will greet many people, but there may be three couples, four couples, five couples in that series. What we like to do is train teams of lay people in some of our seminars who are able to have those skills to go out and ask those questions. How did you ever learn? How did you learn about the health programs here? Is health a new interest for you? Have you ever thought very much about the spiritual aspects of health in your own life? When you do this, it begins to generate a, an opportunity for you to share spiritual principles. Okay, and then number four is organize and prepare your program. So you're getting your team together. You're getting your materials together. You're getting your programs together. And then you're going to organize and prepare your program, whatever it is, whether it's a cooking school or whatever. Decide what classes you want to present but based on a plant-based diet, we do people in injustice. There are many people in the world. I know, I go to whole, a, a place called Whole Foods in some of the health food stores at home, and they want and are teaching a plant-based diet. And so if they come to your cooking school and you're cooking with milk, eggs, and cheese, and all the rest, they feel like they're being cheated. And they will maybe even question you. So you want to have that. Then you want to have some well-planned, exciting demonstrations. I demonstrate how to make bread from start to finish. I demonstrate homemade uh, granola. I demonstrate how to make pancakes, how to make waffles, how to do all of these things. And so you have exciting demonstrations. And then you have adequate materials. And we serve them because it's one thing to watch a demonstration, right? It's another thing to see, but it's another thing to actually taste the food. And so these are our classes that we have. We have one on breakfast, one on bread making, one on the advantages of a vegetarian diet, one on meal balancing, where we include simple, healthful suppers and even holidays and, and special occasions and simple, healthful desserts. 
those are the various subjects that we teach in a cooking school. And so they can, you can either do it in seven classes or you can combine some of these classes. Sometimes if, I, if we're in evangelism and I can do fewer classes, I will put my simple healthful suppers in with meal balancing and I can even do some holidays and special occasions in with desserts or other classes. So these are just some examples of what we can do. And then we prepare good demonstrations. You do preliminary preparations. Uh, you get all of your things ahead of time. And you set up your trays. Everything is done ahead of time if you're doing a cooking school. I'm always ready at least an hour or an hour and a half ahead of time so that I can concentrate on the people coming to the classes so that you get to know them. You get to go down in the audience because you know what? I don't know about you, and I haven't observed it here, but in many places, whether we're having a field school of evangelism, whether we're having evangelistic meetings or a cooking school, people tend to sit in the same seats. Do you ever do that? You sit in the same seats? Well, they do too. And when they come, you get to know them and you, and you visit with them. And then you select and you do your advertising. You could have the best health program in the world, but if you don't do any advertising, you're not going to get people out. The reason I had over 600 in Orlando, Florida, is because I decided to be bold for Jesus Christ. And I said, okay, I'm not a television person. My husband does television all the time. I... I'm not a television person. But I said, okay, I'm going to be bold, and I'm going down to the television station. I'm going to bring my book. I'm going to bring my foods, my materials, tell them what we're doing, and see if they will give me some free television time. And so I talked to them, and I showed them all my burgers and all my granolas and all my sandwiches and all my different things that were a plant-based diet. And they said, wow, this tastes good. This is really good. And they put me on. They said they were going to give me like three minutes, which is a long time on television. They gave me almost 15 minutes. I went on after Einstein bagel. And, uh, and they gave me prime time at like 5 o'clock. And so we had over 600 people out to our cooking school. And so I just went on there and boldly told what I was going to do in the nutrition class. And I get free advertising all the time in newspaper, my friends. We don't pay for it. I go down to the newspaper editor. And I just tell them that this is a free community service. They simply have to pay for some materials. And I would like to uh, uh, get an, uh, uh, an interview. And I tell them what I'm doing. They write up an article. And then I get PSAs on the radio. And we advertise. And we put out a brochure. Uh, you got to advertise well. This was our brochure that we just did in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, and it says natural lifestyle cooking, and you'll discover, you know, how you can decrease your heart disease and cancer, and, and how you'll, you'll get a cookbook, you'll uh, have all kinds of things. And then we tell about the various classes and the materials and what they're going to do in there. That was the inside of my brochure. The other was the outside. Uh, this is, again, the outside of the brochure, and we hand these out. In fact, we put them as a flyer in a newspaper, and people came. And in fact, the couple that we baptized 
it was his mother that actually saw the advertising brochure and came and invited them as well. So you want to do good advertising. Advertise well and then launch your program, arrive early, and place priority on the guests. Seize the opportunity. And, and you have everything there. If you don't have a cookbook like I do, that's fine. I started with these cards, with just four by six cards many years ago. That's all I had. I had all my recipes on these cards from the kitchen of Ernestine Finley and my granola. And then I have my demonstrations of granola. And then I have my fruit and rice recipe or whatever recipe it is. You can have on cards or you can have in a book or whatever. You don't have to have a book to do a cooking school. I didn't for many years. I had them on cards. But the reason I did my book is because I felt like I've been doing this for so many years. I need a quality book. And I have uh, now pictures in my book and I have a lot of scientific information and so forth. But just start on cards and then give them lots of pictures and demonstrations. Uh, applesauce toast, toast delight. Simple, simple recipes that you can just simply do. And then you show pictures of it. And you show all the various things that you can do and all the things that you have uh, cobblers and everything. And then the last one is introduce and implement your follow-up program. I'm going to ask Pastor Finley to share with you in these last few minutes how you can implement a follow-up program. You have a sequence of programming. You don't just have one occasionally. You have a plan, you have sequence, you have health expos, breathe freeze or stop smoking, natural lifestyle cooking, steps to wellness, stress management, and then the evangelistic meeting. And so you have a plan, you have a whole, you develop a follow-up plan where you ask people in the program if they would like to join a class next month on a cooking school or a five-day plan or whatever, and 25% of the people that you ask something spiritual will actually respond. We put uh, just called yours for the asking, and we said, would you like to join our next health class? Check that box. Would you like to join the next stop smoking plan or the next cooking school? Or would you like to... Uh, have the magazine Health and Healing, or would you like to have some Bible studies? And 25%, we got several people that signed even up for Bible studies. So there's lots of ways of uh, sharing. And so, Mark, I want you to transition with them to the evangelistic meetings, and we'll end with this because, again, if we're going to follow Jesus' complete ministry, we definitely want to take them from the physical to the spiritual. And so we transfer them into ancient discoveries. And, uh, and God blesses because people come into the church and learn of Jesus Christ. Are you feeling a little overwhelmed? Let me help you a little bit. Sometime when you sit in a class like this, and you see all the possibilities, you say, how can I take this home and do something? And in the next few moments, I'm going to transition in how to do some spiritual things. I can do that easy. But I want to, I, the most important thing is that when you leave GYC, you go do something. Amen. 
because if you don't go do something, what you have learned will largely lay dormant in your mind. When my wife and I started, it was 45 years ago, we were in our early 20s. I think I was 22, wasn't I? 22 years old. That was 45 years ago, wasn't it? <laughs> Today, wow. <laughs> I was 22. You know, I remember the first stress management seminar I held. I was so stressed out, I almost had a heart attack. <laughs> it was in Boston, Massachusetts. I had never done a stress management seminar before. And I wrote these lectures. I, I, I read how to help people reduce their stress. And man, I was stressed out. So I went to the seminar. When I got there, I saw all these business people, much older than I was, with their suits and ties and their black attache cases lining up for me to help to pay a fee. I was even charging them money. And they were paying a fee for me to tell them how to reduce their stress. Man, I saw that line. I said, oh, no, I'm going to have a heart attack here. Please, Lord, help me. It is in the water and not on the land that we learn to swim. Start simply where you are. Start simply where you are. We did not start where we are today. If you would have seen some of our early programs, you would have said, oh my, oh my, that's a disaster. You start simply and God will bless your talents. Let's suppose you feel that you're not capable right now of running a complete nutrition class by yourself, okay? Here's what you can do. You can go to your pastor and say, look, pastor, how would you like it if during your evangelistic meeting or during a prayer meeting time, uh, or during a midweek time when the church gathers together, that I could demonstrate two or three vegetarian dishes? So that's the way you start. You see, the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. So you say, you know what? You begin in your local church and you say, can I demonstrate two or three vegetarian dishes? And uh, when, and, and, or you start by giving health talks to one another in a youth group. And you start practicing on one another giving health talks. You try to learn as much as you can. When we use the knowledge that we have, God blesses that knowledge in an incredible way. What happened to the little boys, loaves, and fishes when they were put in the hands of Jesus? What happened to them? They multiplied, didn't they? Little in the hands of Jesus is much, and small in the hands of Jesus is great. So start small. Remember when Moses said, God, I cannot do it, and what did God say to Moses? Moses, what's that in your hand? And Moses said, all that is is a rod. And God said, Moses, you go use the rod because a rod and God are enough. A rod and God are enough to defeat all the armies of Egypt. So you may feel your talents are small. You may feel somewhat overwhelmed when you hear everything, all that we've shared with you. But you start where you are. Start small. Make efforts for Christ in the area of health. And God will help you to expand your talents and your abilities. Start when you're young. We didn't start by speaking to thousands of people. We started in little tiny churches, little small groups very often. We struggled a lot. Sometimes the groups would not come back. We'd lose our attendance sometimes and we'd work to build it up again. But you start small. What does the Bible say? Despise not the day of what? 
small things. So you step out in your youth group. You step out in your community. Let your youth group sponsor a health day in your community. And begin to think about that. Sponsor a vegetarian Sunday. And have different ones of your young people prepare a different vegetarian dish. So here you say, we're going to have vegetarian Sunday. And you put flyers, you go down into the park, free food, vegetarian Sunday. And people are going to come. And so you start where you are until you feel more comfortable. And God will expand those talents and he'll do wonderful things for your life. When we come to the end of a health sequence program, we usually get up and I will, or my wife will do something like this. I'll take out my wallet and I'll say, let's suppose that when you were leaving the meeting tonight, and I said, you know what, didn't Mrs. Finley do a wonderful job? Boy, I love that homemade bread she made. And that granola cereal, that was just absolutely phenomenal. And you know, the, all of these veggies and, and the, the roast that she made was wonderful. Suppose I stood at the door when you went out tonight. Now I'm talking to a health class. And I had a stack of $10 bills in my hand. And every person that went out, I gave a $10 U.S. bill. Just kept giving out $10 bills. Every person got one. Well, you got in the car with your wife, and you looked at her, and she looked at you, and you said, wasn't that wonderful? That sweet, good-looking lady, she made all that food for us? That was fantastic. And we're healthy. We reduced the possibility of heart attack. And that tall guy, he gave us 10 bucks, every one of them. That was the most wonderful thing. But then you go home. And you wake up tomorrow morning and headlines in the newspaper, Mark Finley inherits Bill Gates' fortune. You know who Bill Gates is? Microsoft? And you read that in the newspaper and you recognize that today I became a billionaire. And you look at your wife and you say, that guy was so cheap. He was so cheap. All he gave us was a measly $10. And that man could have given us, he had billions he could have given us. You know, I've kind of felt that way tonight. I kind of felt that way. You came to a health class, and we've offered you seven more years, ten more years, eleven more years. I would have liked to say so much more to you. I would have liked to talk to you about eternity and heaven and joy and peace. But this was a health class. But I want to tell you that Friday night. We're ending our health class on Tuesday. On a Friday night, I'm going to be down at the Civic Center and I'm going to be talking about how to have peace of mind and what heaven is like and what happens when you die. I'd love to have you come. Our ushers have a brochure. They're going to put it in your hands right now. There's a reserve seat ticket. If you want to sign up for it, you can do it at the door. And I've just been so happy that we've been here with you. Good night. God bless you. That's about all. We will find, you'll find, that when I make that kind of a transition, that there will be scores of people. If we have a class of 120, there'll be 30 or 40 that sign up for our spiritual evangelistic meetings. And so we can, you can either do it with meetings or there's a form that we pass out called Yours for the Asking. And on the form it'll say, if you would like further information about health, check here. We'll send you a health journal. If you'd like f further information about how to reduce heart disease and some more healthful dishes, tick here. If you'd like uh, something about a stress management, tick here. Or weight control, tick here. Check here. If you'd like to know more about how to have peace of mind from Bible studies and be part of a Bible study group, tick here. 25% of them will do that. 
So what we do is we, we are not afraid in our health programs occasionally to mention spiritual things. We mention it quite regularly in our health programs, not overbearing so you turn people off and they say this is a, this is a Bible thumping kind of thing. We don't have a Bible study devotion at the beginning of our health programs because then people just blank out their minds. But as we're talking about health, we occasionally bring in scientific information from the Bible. Just kind of keep seeding their minds a little bit, just a little bit here, three minutes there, three minutes there, and we'll seed their minds. And then when we come to the end, we offer those whom the Holy Spirit has given a sensitivity in their heart, we offer them another program. How are we doing for time? It's over, finished, complete. As you go out, I would like to pray for you that God will give you the courage, the faith to take something that you've learned here and put it in practice. Start small, God's going to bless it because this generation is a generation that's going to do exploits for God. If Jesus does not come, when I am sleeping in the grave, the first thing I want to know when I come out is that you were witnesses for Jesus and that we're going home together. I know God will bless you as you go back to your churches, as you go back to your homes, and you try to implement some of these things. We wanted to inspire you today so that you could see all the various things that you can do with health and how people are interested. We know people out there not only are interested, they're waiting for you to do these health programs. And there are many on the verge of the kingdom waiting only to be gathered in. So God bless you as we go. Pastor Finley, would you pray? Let's stand together. Father in heaven, sometimes we get a little scared, a little frightened. We're afraid people ask us questions that we don't know the answers to. And sometimes we wonder if we can do this. But Lord, we know that you have said, step out in faith that the Red Sea did not open till the Israelites put their feet in it, that the loaves and fishes were not multiplied until the little boy gave them to Andrew and Andrew gave them to Jesus. And Father, we come today acknowledging that our talents at times are feeble, that we do not have the wisdom, but we give what we have to you. We give our loaves and fishes to you. And we know there are hungry multitudes that need to be fed the bread of life. And we pray that you'd multiply our talents, multiply our abilities. We know that the gifts you give us don't come fully developed. That as we use the gifts, they become strengthened. Just like when we use our muscles, they become strengthened. So Lord, as groups of young people that have come from 44 different countries, help us to get together with our groups here and determine what we're going to do determine how we can make a difference, determine the difference that we're going to make when we go home. Lord, we thank you that as we start small, you will multiply our talents, that you'll anoint us with your Holy Spirit, that you'll strengthen us so that we can see results from what we do for your kingdom. So we praise you, we thank you, and we commit ourselves today that we're going to step out and do something for Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you so much for coming and God bless you. This message was recorded through a partnership between GYC and GYC Europe at the 2012 conference in Linz, Austria. 
GYC are supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church seeks to inspire young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.